up, everyone? I hope you're doing fantastically well today. This is Raphael Garcia here with Shawan Humes for episode number 176 of Anime Ratings Podcast. Today is Wednesday, August 26th, and we have a few things to talk about. But before we do, let's jump into the usual of thanking our listeners. We appreciate you taking the time to listen to our content. You can always find us over at the flagship on MMARatings.net. You can catch us across social media channels as well at MMARatings.net and on YouTube at MMARatings. Our podcasts are on various channels that include Spotify, Anchor, um, Google Podcasts, Apple iTunes, and Breaker as well. But let's start the show off as we usually do. Swan, how you doing there, sir? Uh, no complaints, man. Just waiting for my kids to start school. They don't start until, uh, I think, like another week and a half. I think September the 8th is when they first start. Because their uh, school is waiting a little bit longer. And they're going to mix days between in-person and online. So that'll be interesting. So how are they doing that, in-person and online? Are they, are they doing like two have, or three? What are they doing? Have you come in two days and then... Uh, Everything will be closed on Wednesday, and the other two days they go. They, I think it's gonna be like A through A through G the first couple of, first two days, and then Thursday through Friday will be G through whatever G through Z, and then they're they're gonna split the split the kids up that way. By last name. Yep. Yes, sir. Oh, that's pretty But the, the element the elementary kids will only be off one day, but the high school kids will have two days on and three days off. How um. How are COVID situ- how's the COVID situation around your area? Uh, the place I live, used to live at, they, they've had some upkicks, but so far as I've known around here, they haven't really had any. I think if they have anything like major where it's a couple people or something, then they're going to basically shut it down. They could go all online. So my kids are kind of hoping they don't because this is their senior year. So I'd like to be able to get through it and at least go to school. And especially when you're at a new school, you don't know anybody. True and true. I, I definitely understand that. Um, let's hop into some of the topics we're going to be talking about today. So the first one is the action from this Saturday where we saw... Oh, I forgot about Bellator's card, too. Let me pull that up. But the action from this Saturday where we saw Frankie Yeager win a interesting decision over Pedro Munoz. Uh, I think it was 49-46, 49-46, and 48-47. I think it was split. Um, or 48, 47, 48, 47, 49, 46. I believe that's how it was split. But, Schwan, how did you score um, this fight on Saturday? I really, I could have saw the fight going either way, with the scores, either for Edgar or for or Pedro. I, uh, the biggest issue, the biggest, my biggest concern for Frankie Edgar coming into this was that his durability hasn't been great recently. His ability to recover hasn't been great really and I figured that, that Pedro would be able to take advantage of it. I did not think that he was going to be, I guess, so single-minded in how he attacked. I mean, he basically he basically lost the fight because Frankie outworked him. If he, he would have up-kicked his volume by like 20, 25%, 10, even 15%, he would have pulled out the fight. But essentially, he just allowed Frankie to outwork him, and that was the difference. It, he did the most damage. He landed the harder shot. But it looked like Frankie was controlling the pace because Frankie... For every one or two shots he landed, Frankie had an answer of four, five, and six. Whether they landed clean or not, it just 
it, I, it, to its degree, it looked like Frankie was controlling the fight. It looked like Frankie was controlling the fight. Not to me necessarily, but I can make an argument for why the judges saw it that way. Frankie's a faded old smaller guy, a faded older champion, and this guy's supposed to be a power puncher. This guy's supposed to be a finisher, and at no point was he really particularly close to finishing Frankie. See, I was watching the fight live, and in watching it, I really thought that the judges were going to reward uh, Munoz for the bout. Yes, I was concerned about Frankie's durability at 135, but he looked like he stood up well to those shots that Munoz was hitting him with. He didn't take any really big ones that Munoz threw out there. There's a couple that looked like he was rocked for a second, but nothing that made me think he was going to get knocked out the way he was at higher weight classes. I liked how he switched up his game plan at the end of the second round where he started, he started mixing in takedowns as well. One thing about Frankie that has always kind of stood out to me is he doesn't do anything about leg kicks. He just takes them. He doesn't even really check them. And that is something that has been a consistent issue since the first fight with Aldo. And even still today or, or Saturday, Munoz was chopping away at, his legs over and over again. Uh, talk about that for a minute, Shawan. Is that the game plan to beating Edgar? And why Why doesn't it seem like he's doing anything about them? Yeah, um, it's, I think what he likes to do is he likes to fire off in volume and, and maybe later on sit on his punches, and he just doesn't want to open himself up. Like, a lot of his, his defense is an actual... If you look at his, his actual defense when he's fighting over the majority of his career... It's not actually defensive maneuvers and parries and pivots. It's a lot of he stays circling, he'll circle, 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 and then he comes crashing in with combinations. That, that's essentially been Frankie's, Frankie's approach for the majority of his career. And so a lot of his, foot, a lot of, a lot of his defense is just managing distance. It's him coming in and coming out. It's circling one way, circling the other way, and hopefully, hopefully hoping a guy isn't going to be dedicated to kicking his legs. And to be quite honest, if you think about Frankie, Frankie's career, it hasn't been a whole lot of guys who dedicated themselves to leg kicking. Jose Aldo, um, Pedro, I think there's probably one or two other guys who really did it, but most guys in the UFC aren't great kickers, for one, and two, they generally aren't focused and dedicated to really punishing you with leg kicks. If you really think about it, there's, there's very few fighters who you could think, you think about the top of your head and say, that guy's a dedicated leg kicker. Justin Gaethje, Jose Aldo used to be, He's not really much of one anymore. I mean, off the top of my head, I can't really even think of a guy who regularly and consistently from round one to round five kicks your legs. And if you look at the Frankie fight, the Frankie and Pedro fight from last Saturday, you have to wonder if even being a dedicated kicker matters because as much attritive damage as he did to Frankie, it obviously wasn't enough to make an impression on the judges. Now, the fight fans and the media, maybe, but the judges clearly didn't see it as something that was worth valuing. And just one more thing. The, the biggest thing, I, I agree with you, the reason I saw it a little bit differently is because when I'm watching the fight, Pedro was doing the leg kicks, and he was establishing his jab, and he'd land some big hooks left and right occasionally. But the thing about it is, as much as he used his jab, he never built anything off it. When Jose Aldo fought Frankie, he would build four, five, six punch combination or strike combinations off of it. Jab, jab, leg kick, body kick, right hand, jab, fake, right hand, body kick, leg kick. There were just a combination of strikes coming in, and he set it up with the jab. Pedro seemed to be satisfied landing the jab and satisfied landing the leg kicks and thought that that would be enough. And in theory, it is enough. But the fact is, he wasn't 
maybe he had dropped Frankie or put him on skates regularly, then that would have sold it to the judges. But if I'm a judge looking at it, I see one guy throwing one, two, three strikes, and I see another guy throwing like 10 in return. And for the most part, landing him, even if he's not landing clean to the head, he's landing. He's landing on the guard. He's backing that guy off. And it, it tells a story that, yeah, you're landing power, but your power is not enough to make, make, him, make him lower his volume, and your power is not enough for you to force him back. Frankie might have been going backwards, but Pedro wasn't forcing him back. He was following him. And there's a difference. So there's an argument for why I felt the fight could have went either way. Pedro would have been more, more assertive and built off his jab instead of just being satisfied landing a jab and occasional leg kick and occasional hook. He could have had it. But at no point did he really bite down and force the issue with Frankie. He just kind of stalked him. And as he came forward, Frankie would chop, 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 step back and circle out. Chop, 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 step back and circle out. And yet he would hit Frankie with one or two shots, maybe three. For every three he was landing, Frankie was throwing like seven to ten more shots in response. So if a guy's work rate never dips or goes up, and every time you hit him, he comes out with four or five shots, it, it, you could sell it that you're winning the fight because at no point is he able to impact what you're doing enough to, ch- to change your strategy. So let me talk about that, about this division as a whole. Uh, he is now ranked number five at Bantamweight. weight. Corey Sanhagen, Cody Garbrandt, Aljamain Sterling, and all them are also ranked above him. What do you think about Edgar's chances at winning a title here? Is this something we are going to see happen? And what would you do with him next? Who would you place him against next? I mean, given his pedigree, you would have to say, and his experience level, you would have to say that he has a shot. I'm still concerned with his his durability and his ability to recover. He's still not a big, he's not the biggest hitter here. I don't know that he takes, he hasn't been finished very often, but I don't know that he takes shots as well as he used to. And as much as his pace was a difference here, he was fighting a guy who was ne- who's never been known for his pace. Pedro's known for his finishing ability on the ground and finishing ability on the feet. He hits hard, he's tough, he can snatch submissions. Someone like Peter Yan has the volume. Um, even someone like Corey Sanhagen has some volume. Both those guys don't have Frankie Edgar's wrestling pedigree, but at this weight class, I don't know that Frankie's physicality is, it, or quickness is enough for him to dominate using wrestling. He wasn't able to really control Pedro, so I don't know that he controls Yon. I don't know that he controls Sanhagen. Um, I guess I could see him maybe controlling Sterling for a little bit, but then he'd have to get through Sterling's hands and his feet and his knees, and, and he's not as defensively... He's, even though technically he's defensively better, he's a half-step slower. So I, I think, the bet, like Adam Martin wrote for MMA Ratings, I think they need to move him up the chain quickly, put him in with another named fighter. If he knocks him off, put him in with another named fighter. Now is not the time to be careful. Now is not the time to think long-term. Because I can't imagine that Frankie Edgar is going to be here two to three years from now. Definitely not as an elite fighter. So they need to get all the juice they can get out of him with the squeeze, put him in with main guys, and see what happens. At this stage, um, he's 50-50 based off his experience and his, his pedigree. But if I still had to go by the fact that he's older and the style he uses, I, I would say that this, 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 um, this run goes on a stop fairly soon. But like I said before, he's got an experience that these guys don't have. He's been with the very best in the world. And experience matters a lot in fighting. And a lot of these guys haven't. So I, I still think he could probably eke out some decisions. But you can't bet on him being a world championship type fighter at this stage of the game. There's just too many, too, too many concerns as far as his skill set and his, uh, physical, his physical tools. So I think we hinted at this when we talked about it last time. This is a move that people have been pushing Edgar to do for at least the last decade. I mean, I trained with those guys back in 2009 and they were trying to get him to do it back then. 
if we rewind the clock back to 2009 and he moves down to 135, what is his legacy? Is he a, a, a champion in that division, like a longtime champion? Does he beat Dominic Cruz? Does he beat Tita Dillashaw and all the other guys that came up? How do you see him performing in his prime, you know, 28, 27-year-old? I mean, he's 36 now, so he would have been 26 back then. How do you see that version of him uh, comparing to what did you see now at 135? Well, after, like, if he came down right after he, maybe he lost to Benson Henderson and moved down right then that point, I feel that after dealing with lightweights and much bigger guys, um, his physical strength would uh, make his wrestling more effective. And, and at, the, at that point, if he moved down, it would have been before TJ really got on his run. It would have been before a lot, a lot of guys really got their run going. It probably would have been in the time during when Dominic Cruz was still a champion. And I feel that his physicality and his strength might been it might have been enough to overcome Dominic Cruz because a lot of Dominic Cruz's success was he'd get you on the feet with his movement and his, his off angles, pivots and swings and leaps. But the thing that protected him was that he was always able to get those takedowns. And against somebody like Frankie, those takedowns aren't as easy to come. And I don't know that he'd be able to maintain those takedowns and control guys because Frankie's used to dealing with lightweight. I, I, I have full faith in Frankie's ability to scramble and search for a submission or get a better position and, and punish um, Cruz. At that point, nobody had an answer for Cruz's wrestling. He was either too big or just too crafty in his setups. I don't think that his wrestling would have been the determining factor against Frankie Edgar, and I think Frankie's volume might have been more of an issue for him. Um, I think if he moved down earlier, his career would have been extended a little bit better. He was still young. Uh, he still had that experience of dealing with bigger, power, more powerful guys. And I think at that point in the division, the Bantamweight division hadn't asserted itself so much. I think you would have had a lot of super fights with him involved. And I think there's a good chance he beats Cruz and maybe we never get to the point of where TJ Dillashaw is a champion or Hennon Burrell for that matter. So um, I think it changed the scope of his career um, pretty, pretty greatly. I, I think the move to 45 was is a reasonable one. But after he lost to Jose Aldo, I didn't really see the point of him staying there. You've already lost the champ right, right off the bat. What are you going to do except work your way back up to the champion, but the manner he lost didn't tell me that he'd have any better chance of beating Jose Aldo two years, three years, four years out of line than he would have when he faced him the first time. So I, I, if I was him, I would have dropped to 35, then worked my way back up. If I dominated 35, then moved back up to 45, and then see it go that way instead of stopping at 45 and hanging on there too long, and now coming to 35 when you're on the last, the last remnants of your youth and your physical ability. Good. Um, let's move on from there. And this card itself didn't have a lot of meat to it. But, Schwan, I know you watched these fights with a very close eye. What else stood out from, for you on Saturday's card? Uh, well, I looked at the, the agapova Dotson fight, and um, it was very jarring. Uh, Agapova, she fights out of ATT. She's essentially been on a run. They've kind of pushed her as a pot potential dark horse, potential contender champion in her weight division. And um, the, basically the only loss she had was when she faced Tracy Cortez on the Dana White's contenders, contender series. And since then, they've kind of put her in with last-minute, late replacements. And she's looked dominating. She's looked technical. She's looked athletic. She's looked just very, very impressive. But the question I've always had is that what happens when that athletic advantage isn't clearly there? And once again, when she faces somebody who was a comparable athletic ability, she had problems. Now, she's a much more skilled fighter than Shanna, 
and and to a certain degree she's probably a little bit more experienced as far as her combat her her mma related combat experience but once she had a fighter who she couldn't completely physically dominate or completely finish when she got in certain positions she essentially just gassed out and a lot of that was just because Dodson was a bigger, stronger, physical, and comparable athlete, if not superior athlete. So she gassed out, and in the second round, she gets a takedown and gets swept by a girl who, was not, who, who really isn't in her class as a, as a grappler. Just tired, had nothing left, and then basically got beaten into submission. And it's a big win for Dodson, who had to be close to getting her pink slip, and it's a crushing loss for uh, Maria because she was somebody that the UFC had kind of tagged as, a, as a, like I said, a potential contender, maybe a possible champion. And in the two fights where she faced somebody who wasn't her athletic inferior, she, in one fight, she just didn't look great and, and lost a fairly one-sided fight. In another fight, she just got finished by someone who, who on paper doesn't have half of her skill set. And, and she lost she lost, she lost it really bad. She, she gasped and then she was finished. So it, it's a big setback for her. It's a big setback for the division because they're trying to fill it out and round it out. And these are one of the girls that they were going to get behind and push to help renew the division and kind of bring it to a new height. And now that she's lost, it's kind of a setback for her and for the division to a degree. And what else uh, that you saw stands out to you, sir? Anything else? Uh, the, the only other fight would have been another female women's fight at the strawweight. They had Amanda Lemos, and she fought Mizuki in a way. And um, it's interesting as much as you've seen the women's fight game grow, you see more girls with more more combat experience and fighting outside the UFC, and then coming over and kind of making their name and, and ascending up the the um, list of contenders. It's still you forget that at this point in WMMA, it's still at the point where if you're just a big, strong athlete you can still outclass an opponent with a great more deal of experience and maybe to a degree a great more deal of skill. Uh, Amanda Lemos isn't really a technician in the truest sense. She hasn't faced the best of the best in her career. She fought in Brazil, fought a lot of girls who weren't her comparable, who, who couldn't compare to her athletically or physically. And so she was just dominating people, stopping them in the first round. She came over, fought Leslie Smith, moved up to weight class, and essentially you know, was dominant for a first round thing, got beaten down and broken down and stopped by Smith. She came back, won another quick fight in the UFC, and then once again, she's fighting Mizuki in Inouye, who's been fighting since she's been 16 or 17, got worlds of experience, fought in all, all sorts of promotions, got a decent skill set, good defense, good identity as a fighter, has a wide array of skills, and basically, based off her physical strength and her athleticism, was able to shut down a fighter who, on paper, should be out of her, her league as far as experience and skill sets just being big, strong, and athletic. Every shot she landed backed her up. Every time she wanted to get up, she could get up. Any time she wanted to get the fight down or get the fight to a certain spot, she essentially could dictate pace and place, not because she's such a skilled fighter, but just because she is so physically dynamic and dominant and explosive as a fighter. And it just is a reminder that WMMA, though they've taken large steps forward, they're still in a position where they're still trying to flesh out the skills of the fighters and flesh out the experience level of those fighters. And get in a good enough, good enough quality of opposition in the UFC and out of the UFC where girls are forced to have to develop well-rounded skill sets offensively and defensively. At this point, it's not there because Lemos basically just got by with some basic striking, basic grappling, and a hell of a lot of physicality and a hell of a lot of athleticism. And won a, won a dominant decision over a fighter who's got two, three, at least twice as many fights as she has and, and has generally fought better competition in and out of the UFC than she has. 
but that size and that athleticism still matter. They're at the stage of mixed martial arts where that's still a dominating factor in fight. So we talked a lot about Saturday UFC action. I want to turn our attention to some Friday Bellator action where an outcome occurred that I don't think anyone really predicted. We didn't talk about this card last week, but Ryan Bader goes down in the second round of Bellator 244 via TKO, head kick, and punches. Before we talk about the finish itself, what did you think about this outcome? Were you shocked? Um. Not, not to a degree. I, I've had to research Nemkov before. Years ago, he was in a tournament with King Mo, so I, I had to really break him down years earlier. Um, he's just a very experienced guy. He's, he's got a broad skill set, and he's very athletic. And um, as good as Ryan Bader, as good as Ryan Bader is, he's, he's very similar to other fighters that when he hasn't had, when he hasn't been the hammer, he hasn't been great. And as good as, and as, good as he's been in Jellator, the fact of the matter is he has been facing some guys who maybe aren't on par with some of the guys he was facing in the UFC in certain cases. Um, I think that Bader's a very tough fighter. I think he's very experienced, but I think still he makes a lot of mistakes. And my, my question was, was he going to be able to get out of the first two rounds with Nemkov? Because that was Nemkov's most explosive, most aggressive, most sharp as far as his, technique, his offense and how he sets it up. If he could get out those first two rounds, I felt that Bader could kind of ground him down. But if he couldn't, but if, Nemkov got to him early. I didn't feel that Baylor was going to be able to navigate that. And that's essentially what happened. He came out fast. And, and Bader, when he's on the back foot, when he's forced to be defensive and he's forced to counterpunch, he's just not very good at all. He's really only good when he can dictate pace in place of the fight. And Nemkov's speed and explosiveness and aggression, I think, offset him and really kind of forced him into making those, those minor mistakes that he makes in fights became big mistakes because he was trying to adjust to the speed and athleticism and aggression of Nemkov. For Nemkov, what does this do? What, how does this elevate him? Because I'm looking at information about him right now because I was not too familiar. He's 28 years old, so still relatively young. And, this, and he has only two losses in his career. Uh, they came back in 2016 and 2015. So he has wins over Phil Davis, Rafael Carvalho, Liam McGillery, and now Ryan Bader. I mean, he's beat the four best light heavyweights Bellator has to offer. What do you think about this guy, and what's his ceiling? Well, uh, as I said, um, the, the pro- we talked about this with Bellator. The, big- the biggest problem is we don't know what his ceiling really can be because Bellator in every division is really only four to five guys deep. And if you beat these four to five guys, you've essentially beaten everybody they have to offer who's got enough experience and enough skill and enough athletic ability to be even considered on the world stage. And um, now that he's beaten these guys, it's like, who else Who else do you have him fighting? I mean, there's not a lot of names in the belt. So I guess that maybe they set him up to fight Corey Anderson and Corey Anderson wins his next fight or two. But Corey Anderson isn't necessarily the biggest name out there. I mean, he's the biggest name they have, but he's not an established guy in Bellator. So it makes you ha- have some tough decisions to make moving forward because maybe they'll have a guy move up from middleweight. Maybe they'll have a a smaller heavyweight move down. But as far as like actual fights that'll be exciting and get draw the public's interest, I don't know that Bellator has has a lot to offer in that instance. And um while I think this guy is probably good enough to compete in the UFC and probably win the UFC, uh he's not in there. He's in Bellator. And I guess either they're going to 
bring some guys over for Risen, or they're just going to start recycling fights in, in hopes to keep him busy because they, they really do not have – I mean, like you said, he's, he's essentially beating the best that the light heavyweight division has already. Is there anything else from this card that you um, really kind of paid attention to? I, myself, you know, I expected Julia Budd to get that victory, and, and she did. Same thing with John Salter. But is there anything else that really stood out to you on Friday? Um, I mean, it was kind of sad seeing Roy Nelson get dominated. I know he's been on a kind of a downward slide, but at a certain point, he was only losing to a certain talent level and a certain caliber of fighter. And now it seems like, you know, even at this stage now against new guys who aren't really experienced and aren't really seasoned, he, he, he can't find the manner. He can't find any way to get any offense going. And, and he was never the most technically skilled fighter. He was never the most dynamically athletic fighter, but he always found ways to use his experience to maximize the skill sets and put himself in positions to win. And I guess in the last couple of years, he's turned from less of a wrestler boxer into a guy who just strictly strikes now and and unfortunately um that's just not enough given his uh decline physically and and the other issues he has as a fighter so it's kind of sad to see a guy who was at one point at least ranked in the 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 fringes of the top 10 as a heavyweight if not higher um kind of get to the point now where he can't even be guys who aren't anywhere near the top 10 or not top 15 or top 20 of of the heavyweight division because the heavyweight division isn't known for its depth or, or its endless amount of high-level athletes or high-level fighters. And even in this division, he, he can't seem to find ways to win. And, and this is against lesser opposition where guys in the UFC are fighting, you know, at least good athletes, at least guys who got dominant winning records. And they're finding ways to win or finding ways to be competitive. And um, Warren Nelson just isn't, isn't even competitive anymore. It's, it's kind of jarring to, to watch, seeing it's how impactful and how good he was earlier in his life. Is it really jarring, though? I mean, because I feel like he was never great against the elite fighters. I always, I, and I'm never going to say Roy Nelson didn't take fighting seriously. I'm never going to be that guy to point that out. But how far did you expect the ceiling to really be? Well, it's not so much that. It's just that, like, you see guys in the UFC. You see guys who don't, like Andre Arvosky. He, he doesn't even have a chin for the most part. You hit him hard enough, he usually goes out with a lot of guys. He's found he's found ways to manage wins. You see a guy like, and it's not a heavyweight, but it's a light heavyweight. You see a guy like Shogun or Glover Teixeira, who aren't the athletes they used to be, whose chins aren't nearly as good as Roy Nelson's, who don't have the power that Roy Nelson has right now, and even they're able to beat ranked fighters on a fairly consistent le- level. Glover's found ways to get guys who are much more athletic and much more dynamic on the feet and much more um, young, youthful than him, and he's found ways to get them to the feet, to the ground, and and work them over or submit them. And that, that's contenders. That's guys who are actually within three, two to three fights of being legitimate contenders for the title. Glover Teixeira has knocked off a number of them. Same thing with Shogun Rua. Hua. He's knocked off fringe contenders. Um, I don't know. When's the last time Roy Nelson's even had a win? And he's not fighting the best of the best. He's not fighting the best of the best heavyweights in the world. You know, And not only losing, he's not finding ways to even be effective within the fights. He's not getting a takedown and winning a round or almost having a round, a round one and then getting dropped at the end of it. He's essentially just getting outworked, outpositioned, and, and, and dominated and outclassed. And I wouldn't expect that from a guy with his kind of experience level and, his, and, the, and the success he's had, even at this stage. As we talked about, heavyweight's a division where you can be successful in it long past your prime. I mean, even Junior DeSantos 
had won three fights in a row before we went on the three fight skid. When's the last time Roy Nelson's put two fights two fight wins streak together? Yeah, he's just always been a character to me, and I don't really that's the that's the word I'll use now to not be an asshole. I'll probably be an asshole later on in the show. But um yeah, he's just always been a kind of a character to me. Uh, oh, um, and one more one, one. One more thing before we get out, the Belzer thing. Um, I don't want to seem like I'm slandering Ryan Bader. I, I've always thought he's a good guy. He's a good fighter. But in most of his big fights, I've picked against him, mainly because he has such obvious flaws in his game, especially when he's under pressure. So that's why I had some concerns with Nemkov. If, if you see the fight, he was looking away when he got knocked out. And it's not something he's just done once, twice in Bellator. He, he's done that under the entirety of his career. He either cracked Ashes in the distance, running into shots, or when he's backing up, he's kind of looking the other way or looking away when, when guys are striking. Most guys won't approach him with that aggression because they're not as good athletes or because they're fearful of his wrestling. Nemkov wasn't fearful of his wrestling and knew that he was, at this point, a better athlete. So he didn't have to be cautious. He didn't have to be hesitant. He, he didn't have to show Ryan Bader that respect that everybody else shows him. And without that respect to kind of to, to control the pace and the space, Ryan Bader got exposed for the shortcomings he has as a striker and as a mixed martial arts mixed martial arts overall. A lot of his success has been people knowing how strong he is, knowing how good a wrestler he is, and being respectful of that. When somebody did not show that respect, he was not as effective as a fighter. Did you think it was a bad finish? No, not at all. Uh, I, I mean, I, I didn't want to see him taking any more abuse. I mean, Ryan Bader, people forget, Ryan Bader's been dropped and stopped quite a bit in his career. So... Anytime you can get him out of there early, I would I would err on that side. I mean, he's he's taken a fair amount of punishment in his fight over the over the the, the time of his career. And if you really think about it, in his run in Bellator, how, how much has he really been hit? Not often. This might be one of the first times he's actually really had to take punishment. And the first time he took it, he did not look great. In most of his fights, he's just wrestling guys, taking him down and working him over. He had he's been able to pitch in Bellator. He hasn't had to catch. And the first time he had to catch in Bellator. He was dropped, stunned, and couldn't defend himself. I saw some interesting backlash about, you know, people were basically upset about um, the way the way the, the, the stoppage looked. And I looked back at it, and I was like, uh, this isn't as bad as we've seen. Um, he was, yeah, you know, he was wobbly. He, he got back to his feet. He scrambled back to his feet, went back down. I don't think it was as bad as most people thought it was, but, you know, that's just my opinion of it. I just wanted to get your kind of thoughts on if you I mean, it was an egregious stoppage. If, or, if, or if they if they let it go, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. My thing is, as I said before, he's taken a lot of punishment. He's been dropped and rocked quite often, even in the UFC. And nobody nobody had really seen Ryan Bayer take it. I can understand the shock, maybe even for a referee, because no, for this last year and a half, nobody's really seen Ryan Bayer take take real hard shots. I mean, that shot that Nimkov hit him with is probably the hardest shot he's been hit been, been hit with. In his entire run in Bellator, when he fought Phil Davis, but Phil Davis isn't a striker like, like that. Outside, of, and even the Phil Davis didn't really hit him all that much. So this is the first time he actually had to deal with somebody who has dynamic finishing ability. So I'm just not taking any chances. If he really wants the fight to go longer, defend yourself in a better manner. It wasn't like he got up swinging; he got up looking to get away and then fell down again. I, I don't know what else people need to see. Now, if they let him go for another couple seconds to so let him take some punishment, that's fine. But Ryan Bader is not a great guy. He's, he's never been a guy who's recovered from big punishment. When have you ever seen Ryan Bader get dropped and really recover from big 
accomplishment. I've never seen it. He's not a great guard guy. He's not a great reverse guy. Uh, he's not even a great guy when he gets hurt. Usually when he gets hurt, he gets finished. So historically, there's nothing saying that he's going to come back. And like I said, in Bellator, this is the first time he actually really got hit. And as soon as he did, he went down. So to me, it wasn't a bad stop based on what I've seen historically, based on how much I've seen him take in Bellator during this run, this run where he's been so dominant, but taking really no punishment on the way to becoming dominant. True, true. So a couple of different things I want to talk about today. Let's talk about UFC Fight Night 175. I looked at the card. There's some things here worth talking about. Anthony Smith versus, um, what's his name? Alexander Rockets. I don't know much about Rockets. Uh, I don't really know much about this guy at all. Anthony Smith, we know who he is. Perennial contender at 205, former title challenger. How do you see this fight going? And are we looking at a new maybe top contender in Rockets or are we looking at Smith holding serve once again? Well, the, the big the big story, even though nobody's going to talk about it, is how does Smith or, or does Smith recover from the beating he, he took at the hands of Glover Teixeira? Because everybody saw that they were thickened by it. A lot of people thought terrible of his corner. They thought, ter- they, they thought he was a warrior but felt his corner should have stopped the fight. A lot of it was a lot of negativity towards his corner and the referee for allowing that to go. So the biggest question we have to wonder now is what does he have left? Because when you see guys in competitive fights that are essentially wars, we always say they leave something in the cage with them or leave something in the ring. This was a fight that after, what, the first round, half a round, it was essentially one-way traffic for, what, three or four rounds of him just taking a beating? Some of his teeth had fallen out, couldn't defend himself, couldn't get up, couldn't reverse, couldn't throw up a submission, couldn't tie... Um, go over to tear his arms up, couldn't do anything. was just getting man, manhandled, grown man, however you want to call it, and taking a beating, well, I mean, taking a vicious beating along the way. So the question, once again, is going to be, Anthony Smith has never been a dynamic fighter. He's never been a super technical fighter. He's never been a super defensive fighter. He's been a guy who gets by on pace, physicality, and durability, which means in the majority of his fights, he's taken huge beatings to turn a fighter around and then win it. We saw it. We saw him take a, somewhat of a beating against John Jones. We saw him take a beating against um, Ozdemir. It's just the kind of guy he is. He, he doesn't have the dynamic athleticism. And as we saw against Tuxera, he doesn't have the dynamic athleticism to finish guys right off the bat. And he doesn't have the cardio to fight at a super high pace and maintain it. So it's just a matter of what does he have left and, and what adjustments is he going to make in trying to reinvent himself and move forward in the light light heavyweight division. The light heavyweight division is wide open now that Jones has given up the title, but he needs to put at least two, maybe three wins together before he can be considered a legitimate champion or a legitimate contender to the champion. And that's going to be the biggest story of the fight. Rocket is, he's athletic, he's dynamic, he's aggressive, he's going to be looking to finish, looking to punish Smith. And and my biggest question is, how does Smith respond when he gets cracked in the face? How, How does Smith respond when he, if he doesn't get a takedown? If he throws everything, everything in the kitchen sink in the first round and the guy's still around, will, will he be able to maintain the pace? Will he gas out again? If he gets put on the back foot, will he have any defensive defense or counters? If he gets hit clean, will it just put him away? Because at some point, you only have so many fights, so many punches, so many knees you can take. And I'm thinking that Anthony Smith is a lot closer to that than, than he was even one fight ago. If the guy can't scare him off or can't do great damage to him, then I expect Smith to be able to grind him up and break him down. But 
Smith's durability and his cardio are now question marks after that fight and after that punishment. And I don't think he took enough time off, in my opinion. So it's really what does Smith have left? And is he ready to face another athletic, strong, aggressive guy who's looking to do damage to him? Yeah, I wonder what he's going to look like coming out of or coming back into the octagon after taking that beating too as well. Guys, man, there are some guys who take a beating and their career is never the same. Uh, we've seen it happen to Doho Choi. We've seen it happen to Chuck Liddell. We've seen it happen to so many people across the years. And, you know, and, the, maybe and those guys are much better athletes. The same way. Yeah. They, yeah the, we, those guys are much better. I mean, when you're, when you're an elite athlete, like I always say, somebody gets the elite athleticism beat out of them. Smith was never an elite athlete to begin with. So every beating you you fight have takes something away from you. He had a beating against Ozdemir. That took something out. The fight against Jones took something out. The fight against Gilbert Teixeira took something out. It seems like a lot of his fights end up either end up in some kind of high pace or some kind of situation where a lot of punishment is distributed or absorbed. How many fights can you have like that when you're already not a top-end athlete? I know he's tough. I know he's durable. But that, that only goes so long. I still don't think he's the greatest fighter as far as skills and setup. I don't think he's the greatest grappler. I don't think he's the greatest striker. I think there's a lot of places you can exploit him if you're willing, if you can match him and you can stay focused and punish him instead of instead of uh, gassing out or emptying your tank trying to finish. I think he's got a lot of holes that can be exploited. And once again, the question is, does his durability, does his cardio carry him? It didn't. It didn't last fight, and that was only like two or three months ago. I don't know how much he could have possibly recovered if the damage I thought was done to him was actually done to him. I don't know how much he's recovered in that period of time. And now he's facing a guy who's going to be bigger, stronger, faster, quicker, coming off the worst beating he's taken in years. When it's beat out of you, it don't come back. Uh, it, it, that's what, that's like one of the things to me that makes Frankie Edgar's run so interesting because he keeps coming back and it's been beat out of him a couple of different times or at least it yeah, looked like the, it was the, 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 actually if you look at it Gray Maynard was the one because Frankie he took his beat his abuse really early in rounds when he fought Maynard he, he took really bad beatings for like a round maybe around a half where he got dropped and he rolled around but if you think about it the other way Maynard they, those big leads in those for early rounds but basically from that first round or round and a half Maynard took, what, four and a half rounds of a beating? Frankie took essentially maybe a round and a half of a beating. It's a little bit different, you know, when you rack those up over the, the length of a fight. Anthony Smith took essentially like three rounds of just one-way traffic. He's not even swinging back. He's just getting taken down and taken to the woodshed. That's different than being in a competitive fight where you're doing harm and they're doing harm to you. Because every time you hit them, you're taking something off their shots. But when they just got you down, and they're just literally, you can't defend yourself and you're just taking whatever they have to offer, that's the kind of abuse that it's really hard to recover from. I'm not saying he can't, but what he gets by on is cardio, mental toughness, and physical toughness. Now, sure, he's still mentally tough, but physically, I don't know how well you recover from that, especially when you're fighting a guy who's, who's a finisher. Now, Anthony's got the experience, and he, he knows how to work through bad spots. I just don't know if his body will hold up if he gets put in a bad spot. And until I see it, I can't believe it. if he goes and knocks this guy out right away, that doesn't prove anything to me. I need to see him catch. I need to see him take abuse before I can crown him as, as being back and ready to challenge for the division, challenge division's best. Because all the guys at the top end of the division 
are good enough athletes and good enough defensive grapplers and good enough strikers that they can make him pay a very high price for everything he tries to do in that cage. Yeah, and um, I definitely agree with you on everything you said there. Let's. Uh, what else stands out from this card? We got Robbie Lawler coming back. No one's really talking about that. Ricardo Lamas is coming back as well. Uh, Alexa Grasso was there fighting this weekend. Anything else? Anything from those fights uh, stand out to you? Uh, I'm interested to see what Lawler looks like. It's been another let, long layoff for him. Um, it's interesting to see, like you know, if he if he's made any notable changes I, at this stage i don't know that he could what changes he could have as far as the style i know he's not as good an athlete as he used to be he's not as dynamic a finisher as he used to be as shown in the fights he lost to dustin yos um Askren and covington he he had moments of offense against Askren. he had moments of offense against dustin yos but for the most part he was essentially outworked and out hustled by by all by two of those guys and then he just was finished by, by he actually in my opinion, finished Askren and then got a nonsense stop it, nonsense lo- submission loss to him. But you see that he's not the same guy he used to be. You know his shin isn't what it used to be. His reflexes aren't what it used to be. The question is, how far is he falling back? Because Neil Magny isn't a great finisher himself. He's not a dynamic athlete, but he's durable. He's well-conditioned. He, he sets a high pace and builds on it. And he's got a great a wide range of skills. He, he can wrestle you. He can grapple you. He can strike a little bit. So there's no one area that, that Robbie Lawler safe in um some people have called for robbie lawler to retire he he hasn't looked very interested or he hasn't looked very consistent and, and devastating in his last few fights um and against a guy who's consistent and active and is fairly smart defensively you would think that, that this is a bad matchup in a fight that's going to end up with robbie lawler getting out hustled for three rounds it just depends on what lawler we see if he comes out there looking to destroy he might have a chance but we're going to need to see a more consistent effort from Robbie Lawler. It can't be one round on, run, one round off, or one big round, and halfway through the round, he decides he's going to cruise. Uh, Magny's not the kind of guy to get scared off. Magny's not the kind of guy to get tired. And Magny's not the kind of guy who won't attack you from multiple aspects within the mixed martial arts realm. So, um, it, I don't know. I, I probably am going to have to say Lawler probably loses the decision on this one. I mean, he might get the knockout, but if he doesn't get the knockout, I don't know how he wins this fight. He's not out wrestle Magni. I don't think he's going to submit him. Um, it's basically going to be him coming out and, and landing a big shot, setting up a big shot, and landing it. I just don't know that Robbie Lawler has that focus or that um, that basically just that focus. He loses focus in fights, and against a guy like Magni, Magni's perfectly capable of doing a poor man's imitation of Colby Covington and just out working him on the feet. Do you th- do you think we're about to see an aged Robbie Lawler and one that is not, well, you know, it's kind of what you already said, but, but one that is on his way out of the sport? Is, is, are we at that point? I, I think we've already seen an aged Robbie Lawler. I mean, the fights with Hendricks, the fight with Condit, um, those, the fights with Roy McDonald, those fights take, the fight with Matt Brown, those fights take years off of your career. They take years off your career because it's so much two-way traffic. You're taking so much abuse and you're going... Four, three, four, five rounds, just swapping paint. It, there's a price to pay for that. And Robbie Lawler is a guy who's one of the, probably at this stage is probably the most experienced mixed martial arts current uh, currently fighting in a major promotion. He's fought all over. He's fought everybody. He's gone. He's fought about hundreds of rounds, maybe thousands. And he's fought against some of the most devastating punchers, strikers, the most busy strikers. He, he's fought every sort of time. And he's taken every sort of shot. At some point, that catches up to you. He came to the UFC and he had a resurgence. 
But that resurgence started in 2014. We're now in 2020. And he's only, and he, ha- he hasn't fought since last year. So you can't imagine he's super sharp. He hasn't been fighting. And in, even in the last fights you've seen him in, he, his focus hasn't been there. The snap and his shots hasn't been there. The defensive awareness hasn't been there. And the willingness to go out and kill hasn't been there. So Robbie Lawler is just going to come in there and sleepwalk through it. Yeah, he can still win. He's that dynamic. He's that big a hitter. He's still he's still a pretty he's still a better athlete than Magny. But if he's just going to try to sleepwalk and land an occasional bomb, Magny should be disciplined and experienced enough and varied enough in his attack to be able to navigate that and eke out a decision. I expect Robert Lawler to have moments. The question is, will his moments be enough to win the fight? I don't know at this stage. I don't know what we're going to get from him. But based on what we've seen, what I've seen from the la- Robbie Lawler the last two or three years of his career, it ain't going to be enough. This is the Robbie Lawler struggle with Donald Cerrone. Robbie Lawler from four years, six years ago, five years ago, knocks Donald Cerrone out in the first round. That That's how much of a difference we've seen in Robbie Lawler. I can't argue with you there, sir. And I won't. Not on this one, at least. Uh, let's, is there anything else you want to talk about from this card? I got a couple of topics I want us to move to. Uh, well, I, I'm just interested to see how, how uh, Alexa Grasso looks coming in. Uh, she was came in with with a lot of, she came with a lot of attention. She came with a lot of fanfare. They had a lot of big ideas for her and big goals for her. And she got derailed by Phyllis Harris. And since then, it's been win one, lose one, win one, lose one. So it's interesting to see if she's gotten everything in order. She's adjusted to her new weight class and she's ready to reach that potential. The, the opponent she has is tough. She's durable. She's she's fairly active. She's she's fairly experienced. But in my opinion, this is a fight that is being made to show that Alexa Grasso has arrived and is rededicated to the sport and it's, it's willing to take, it's ready to take the next step forward as far as being a legitimate championship contender. Like no longer a prospect, no longer a person with potential, someone who's about to realize that potential. I think that's the reason they set this fight up. Somebody who's tough enough to make her go rounds, skilled enough for her to have to show off some evolution as a fighter, but not athletic enough and not balanced enough as far as their skill set to really beat her. At least that's what they're hoping for. So that that'd be interesting. And the last thing, uh, I don't know how many cards Hannah Cypher's been on in the past couple of months, but it seems like she's on every other card. She's not a great fighter. She's not world class, but I have to commend this woman for always being ready and always being willing to take on any and every challenge that is presented to her. Because it's like they go to her manager and say, "Can she fight?" Yep, she's ready to go. It feels like she's fought ten times since she's been in the UFC. What do you think her um? Her ceiling is. Uh, Cyphers, I, I, I think she's really just like a journey woman at this point. I don't think she's big enough. I don't think she's a good enough athlete. But like I said, I, I just admire the fact that she's ready. She's a true professional. She is, she's not turned down any fights. She is ready to go for any opponent at any weight class. She's willing to take on the challenge. And um, there's a lot of people who say, you know, I'll fight any place, any time. I'm a warrior. I just do. I just, I just want to compete. Um, she's probably one of the few fighters who actually means it because she's not making Donald Cerrone money but she's fighting on a schedule that's pretty close to Donald Cerrone's activity as far as fights in a year yeah that's I mean you can say the same thing about Angela Hill though too she's she does Donald Cerrone work I guarantee you she does oh true but I think Angela Hill I think Angela Hill gets paid a little bit more than Hannah Cyphers I think I don't know I may be wrong on that and Angela Hill actually never know Angela Angela Hill's like an elite level talent. Hannah Cyphers is complete. I don't know if she's won a fight since she's been in the UFC. And she's taking some tremendous beatings, but she keeps on showing up. I guess she 
feels she keeps going, one of these days is going to go the way she wants it. And I, I admire her for that. She ain't on a win streak. She's not promised a title shot. She's not even a fringe contender. She's just showing up to do her job. Every time her, her job calls in, she's ready to show up. Yeah, true. I'll give you that. So we have one other topic. This is from new UFC News to talk about. And the first is I found rather interesting. I was reading about this today. So, you know, in the global pandemic that's going on, you know, sports are really kind of just out there. And it's looking like UFC ratings are increasing by 39%. And I saw that compared to the NBA, who's experiencing a 30% decline in ratings. And I found this very interesting because being in the MMA space, we see this is going to turn alt-right very fast. And you know how it's going to be painted. It's going to be painted in a way, well, the NBA, especially now with them going on strike and uh, going on a very clear strike in reference to the Jacob Blake shooting in Wisconsin, you're going to see this played up as a situation where, oh, well, people don't want to see athletes mixing in politics with sports. That's why, you know, UFC being uh, so apolitical in, in air quotes, because we're going to talk about that in a second, and Dana White pushing so hard to get these fighters back in, in fighting in a time of, of a global pandemic that is benefiting them in this way and is showing that fans don't want their politics mixed in with sports. I don't believe that. I think there's more to it than that. But what do you what do you think about that, man? The fact that the ratings are dropping for the NBA by 30% and actually increasing for the UFC by 30%. There, the prelims for the most recent pay-per-view did 889. Was it let me see something real quick? Because I think actually this past this past fight card did yeah, the main card of this this weekend averaged 889, or excuse me, 869,000 viewers, almost a million, and that's big for a fight with no title fights and Frank with Yager no real name like, either. I mean, yeah, Frank is the only name on the whole card. So, what do you make of that? Well, first thing, when people said Dana was crazy for doing this, we talked on the show, and I re- and. We regularly thought that Dana White might in, actually be a genius because everything was on hold. Everything else has, you know, players' rights and player unions and all this stuff. They can push back. They have some control. They can disrupt their sport, disrupt their paychecks, disrupt um, the attention they're getting if they don't like how things are going. The UFC does not work that way. The UFC does not. They don't have a union. The fighters don't really have any say. They can turn down a fight or they can accept it. They don't. T- they turn down a fight, they don't get paid, they don't get pushed. UFC will just hold you under contract until you're worthless and then send you on your way. So Dana White is, in fact, actually a genius for the way he runs his sport because his sport doesn't have to answer any, but doesn't have to answer to the fighters. His sport is bigger than the fighters. The UFC is bigger than the actual fighters in it, no matter who it is. And because of that, he was going to reap the full rewards of everything the, the NBA does, everything, if the NFL has people start speaking out, if the MLB, I've heard a couple guys, a couple teams cancel their games today, he's got the advantage over all these guys. In fact, any combat sport does because they don't operate the same way, which means they can keep doing business. And what does ESPN and Fox Network need? Live sports. Who's the only one game in town with it? Boxing, mixed martial arts. Everybody else is, could be taken away from you at any moment. 
UFC and their fighters don't have that leeway, and I can't imagine any fighter who anybody would care about saying, I'm not going to fight anymore because I'm standing up against the right. That's not going to work in the UFC spectrum. So he's essentially put his sport ahead of everybody, and and I don't I don't I, he really he really might turn the sport into one of the biggest sports in the world. We used to joke that it's not. He really might turn the sport into one of the biggest sports in the world because it's the only sport that's still going on. Um, as far as the, the ratings for other sports dropping, of course it's going to. A lot of people use sports as an escape. I can watch a fight and not have to worry about racial issues. I can watch a fight and not have to deal with political issues. I can watch a fight and not have to worry about financial issues. That's what people get so mad about talking about fighter pay. People don't want to talk about pay. I talk about pay with my union. I talk about pay with my job. I hear about people complaining about their pay and complaining about how hard their job is on CNN, on Fox News, every day in the newspaper, at my job. I don't want to deal with that. I, I want an escape. I want three hours of people punching each other in the face, three hours of people hitting fadeaways, dunking the basketball, making fancy passes. I don't want to deal with that reality. One, because we have to deal with that everyday life. That's no fun. And two, they don't want to deal with it because some of these people have have thoughts and beliefs that go against what the what the uh, players and fighters and other athletes have, and you rather just look at them and enjoy them for what they can do instead instead of looking at them as people who are being harmed and being negatively impacted and who have, have thoughts and opinions about how not just how the world's going but how you live your life. Because LeBron James isn't just upset with the system. There's people who benefit from the system. The people who enjoy the system. And if he doesn't like the system, he doesn't like you either. He doesn't know you, but he does not like you or what you stand for. And that's hard for some people to accept. I mean, as, as a human being, as a black man, you have to do what you have to do. As any race, you have to do what you have to do. But whenever you're trying to evoke change, there is going to be a sacrifice. That's what everybody keeps forgetting. And it's the same thing I said about with fighters making, fighters need to make more money. We need to take a stand. Everybody wants to take a stand, but they also want to win. And that's not how it works. Somebody has to lose for change to be made. Someone's career has to get effed over. Someone has to miss out on tons of money. Someone has to miss out on opportunity to make the league for change to be invoked. It has to be. Colin Kaepernick, I didn't feel sorry for him. He said he wanted change. Well, if you want change, you have to be willing to lose something. He lost something. Muhammad Ali lost his career. He lost the prime years of his career. Maya Moore in WNBA, she lost, a, some of, she lost some of her prime trying to make a difference. But there's a price for it. And that's why I don't have sympathy for people when they do this, because you made a decision that the, the greater good good is what's more important. Okay, well, the greater good might mean you go from having 50 million to 25. It might mean you go from 10 million to having one. It might mean you make a league, you make hundreds of thousands to play basketball to you having to get a job as an insurance salesman making $40,000 a year. It's not me judging anybody. It's just the way it has to be. For change to be made, someone has to make a sacrifice. Someone has to miss out. Nobody wants to miss out. They want to change and they still want to win. That's not how this works. So, NBA is going to alienate some people. If the NFL follows suit, they're going to alienate some people. Baseball will alienate some people. Anybody who joins in is going to alienate people. And the and this is the best time to do it because of the pandemic. And you, you can get all this attention. You can really grind the world to a stop to a certain degree. But it's the worst time to do it because people are finding out, I don't need to have sports in my life. People have been out of sports like three or four months. I mean, people have gotten used to not necessarily having sports. So at this time, sports currency matters. But it doesn't matter as much as it used to six months ago because people have seen we can live without sports. We had to find other jobs. We had to find other things to do. So I'm not saying sports won't come back. But at this point, I think some of the salaries might move backwards. And I, I think some of the, the power of some of the athletes, and so, especially in the case of fighters, is going to drop even lower. 
because people are going to be like, well, I can take it or leave it. I've already, I already went four months without watching basketball, watching boxing. I can go another four months. Maybe I can go four years. So it's the best time to do it, but it's also the worst time to do it because a lot of people aren't supporting you and a lot of people aren't going to go back to you. And you're going to have to deal with the, the financial repercussions of that or somebody's going to have to deal with it moving forward. It's not going to be the same. You don't have something like this happen and you go back to just, oh, everybody loves you. We're all going to make hundreds of millions. No, this, this is going to impact things. Maybe not next year, maybe not the year after, but down the line, this is going to impact things. For the better, obviously, for people who need to be respected and their lives need to be valued, but it's also going to affect some people negatively because they're not going to have the jobs they thought they'd have, nor are they going to have the opportunities they thought they'd have. They get through sports. A price will have to be paid for this. I mean, you said quite a bit there. Let's start unpacking some of that. So I find there's something that came up about fighter pay that's pretty interesting. And Dana White said that with, you know, this season of the Contender Series, which I think has four more weeks, that they're going to have to cut some fighters to make room for the contender fighters. Now think about that. If I am a fighter that has, you know, reached 10 fights, I'm on my second or third UFC contract, I'm making X amount of money. You come in on the contender series and you're offered 16 and 16, which is like probably half of what I'm making show and win uh, at this point in my career. To think that they're going to start cutting fighters that are in my position to bring in more fighters that are in the your position coming off of also as contender series, that's huge. And not a lot of people are talking about that because it's very telling to me. They are willing, and especially with the ratings that you saw for Frankie's card on Saturday, they're willing to put lesser talent on TV just to put a product out there because they're making yep. money without crowds in the stands. And they're, as long as they're putting cards out there, they're getting that money from ESPN. So they're willing to put cards on with lesser talent because that is going to save them money. And I'm surprised, well, I'm not surprised, but if fighters had some say, if they had a union or, or association of some sort, they could probably have some say in this, but they don't. So they're going to be there. We're going to see, People like a Roxanne Matafari or a or a Ed Herman or a Diego Sanchez, people that have are probably making sixty and sixty easy, start falling by the by the wayside just because UFC can bring in younger talent for a portion of the price. But if you think about it, that's how all businesses work, though. I mean, there's times where my my friend's husband worked at Walmart. He was there for years. He was making a certain kind of money. And then they just all of a sudden started having issues with when he took days off. He didn't even come in late. And all of a sudden they started issues. The people, you find people who can do the job for cheaper. And then you just go through whatever bumps and bruises you have to go through until they get good enough to make up for the difference of the people who you lost. I mean, and, and, and it's a fight game. It's not just a fight game. It's, it's business. That's why when a lot of fighters will bash Dana White or fighters tell people like me, because I never fought. You don't fight. You don't know what you're talking about. Have you run a business before? Do you own a business? Because if you own a business and you run a business, then you know exactly why you need a union. And you know exactly why the UFC is going to start cutting you guys with 30 and 30 and 60 and 60 and 70 and 70 in favor of local products who don't have a name and, and are going to take 25% of what you of what you make. Because everybody wants to be with the UFC. The UFC is the brand, not you. Just like Walmart's brand, not the customer server, Raquel, 
or Diamond Shamrock and the customer service, Shawan, my individual thing impacts it, but they can replace me easily without losing a step. The UFC is a business. It's almost like a chain at this point. Yeah, the product matters, but they've made it where the name matters over the product. So all they have to do is, you're making too much money, you're being difficult, even if you're not being difficult, I'm just going to cut you, kick you out anyways. If you want to stay, you got to take a pay cut. If you want to fight for my promotion, you got to take a pay cut. You don't want to take a pay cut, go to Bellator, go to Risen. Well, I have a wife and I don't want to be overseas. Tough. You either take what I'm going to offer you or you hit the road and go somewhere else. This is something that the fighters should have seen coming years ago. All the fighters keep saying they're businessmen. All the fighters keep saying I'm college educated. I know how things work. If you're college educated, you know how things work. And you're such a businessman. How did you not see this coming? We talked about this a couple months ago. When the UFC talking about UFC gyms and UFC hotels and UFC, everything being UFC operated and UFC owned. We talked about this like almost six months ago and talked about how the fighters have basically undercut themselves by not speaking out, undercut themselves by not taking a union, undercut themselves by playing the company man to take care of themselves, which works until the UFC has no use for you. In which case, then they make an adjustment and then you get cut and then all of a sudden you're in Bellator, you're somewhere else complaining about the UFC didn't pay me. Nobody cares now. You're on a three-fight losing streak. We don't care. You just got knocked out. You don't care. The time for you to speak out is when you're on top of the mountain. That's when it matters. But if you do that and you lose, you know the UFC is just going to put you in a really bad spot, anyways. So it's a it's a double-edged sword. But these guys walked into this. The UFC has been doing this for years with their little camps and their training. Or if it comes to the performance center, they're looking at our doctors. They're working with our masseuse. They're working with our psychologists, our striking coaches. I mean, these camps and these fighters are putting themselves out of business, and they're they're making it where they don't have any viable option to fight and make even decent money or have a decent name. And um, I feel bad for them because it's terrible that UC's taking advantage of them on one end, but I don't feel bad because they all tell me they're businessmen. They all tell me they know what they're doing. They all say, I don't know what they're doing because I'm not in the UFC. But then when things go wrong, then they want to start talking to us and get us to apply pressure on the UFC to try and get them paid. Well, if I don't know anything, then what do you need my help for? And like I said, we talked about this for months ago. This, this has been like six months ago we talked about this. And what's interesting is, you know, the news about UFC uh, Hotel broke today or yesterday may have been. And again, Dana White's talking about they don't have money to pay fighters more because it's a global pandemic. But you have money to buy, what was it, 10 acre, 10, 15 acres to begin putting up a hotel? Now, I think the hotel is a smart idea. It allows you to control more of the situation that's going on and it will have long-term value in Hell, it can become an income source if they want to begin letting normal people use it. But how can you do that and claim you don't have money for fighters? That it, it, it is amazing to me that they can still tell that story and people eat it up every single day. I don't know. I, I see both ways of it because in one instance, you're saying they don't have money, but it's like someone saying, do I have money to pay my mortgage or do I have money to, to make a car payment? I can't afford to make a car payment. That's ridiculous money. I don't have the money to pay for a car payment. But if I'm just paying for my house and my land, that's going to gain value that I can make money off two or three years from down the road, then that makes sense to me because I could pay a fighter $100,000 a fight. I don't know that they're going to make money for me. In fact, we know the fighters don't make money for them. They did, a, they did almost a million views with Frankie Edgar in the headline, and, and no offense to the fighters, but garbage on the undercard. Me and you might, if they put me and you on the card, we might. 500,000 people because there's nothing else to watch and the UFC, they're selling the UFC they're not selling the fighters, so I already know the fighter isn't worth 100,000, I know some of these fighters aren't worth 
70000 So why don't I just pay them 15, 20, whatever I want to pay them, keep breaking it in. I'll pay top money for this land because this land, if I sell it in 20 years, is going to make me hundreds of millions. These fighters, they might not pan out. Just like that guy took that short notice fight, he quit. They gave him a chance. He didn't pan out. They buy this land. This land is going to be valuable 10, 20, 30 years down the road. It's going to be making them money. If nothing else, if you give them a place to hold fight that on their own, that they own, that they control 100% of the revenue, that fight, that land pays for itself. Let's be honest. Most fighters do not pay for themselves. As much as they say they spend on fighting, as little as they get paid, and I, I agree they should get paid more, how many of these fighters make the UFC what the UFC pays them? I don't know that they make the UFC $70,000. I don't know that. I know Conor McGregor is worth his money. I knew Ronda Rousey was. I don't know if the prelim guy who's getting eight and eight to show, I, I don't know if he's worth 16000 to the UFC, to be honest. Like, being real, straight up, I don't know that the UFC makes 16000 I know that fighting for the UFC gives him more money and make it increase his Q rating so he can have a brand that he can build and expand on. I don't know that that prelim guy does anything for the UFC, though, until like four or five, six years later when they're a contender or they're in a title fight and they kind of make that money back then. But outside of that, what does that fighter do for the UFC immediately? And what do 90% of the fighters do for the UFC four or five years down the line? If they made $100,000 for the UFC, if the UFC has paid them $100,000, I don't know that they've made the UFC $100,000. If, if you understand what I'm saying, does that make sense to you? Yeah, it does. It does. And I, I, I hate to say it. It's mean to say hey, but, you know, did, did you make the UFC back the money they, they, made, they made you? Well, they made $80,000. Yeah, but let's look through the books. Did you make, did you, not being on Conor McGregor's card, did you make the UFC $80,000 back? Well, not really. Okay, then. Well, now we're talking business. Now we're talking about the athletes and their value and them as human beings and what they sacrifice. They deserve more money. But if we're talking about the return on their investment, Conor McGregor was worth his return on investment. Maybe Quinn and Rampage Jackson was. Chuck Liddell was. Uh, Ronda Rousey was. Maybe Misha Tate, Holly Holm, uh, people like that. Robbie Lawler to a degree. But the rest of them, UFC ain't making their money back on them. The UFC is what sells. You put Diego Sanchez on a Bellator car, it doesn't do 500000 You put Frank Yeager on a Bellator car, it doesn't get the same ranking. It, it just doesn't. It's already been proven. So, so the UFC does more for the fighters and their rating than the fighters do for the UFC. And these ratings and these pay-per-view buys are telling the story for you. Before, before the pandemic, only Conor McGregor did those kind of numbers. Now, Stipe Miocic and Don, Daniel Cormier are doing 500000 buys? When has that ever been a thing? Yeah, I think they did more than that. Yeah, uh, when is when when have Daniel Cormier been that kind of a been that that kind of a draw? <laughs> Justin Gaethje and, and Tony Ferguson did seven, did almost a million buys. When has that ever been the case? They've been out of the cars at, at the peak of the UFC. When have they ever done that kind of numbers? They haven't. It's because of the pandemic. It's because of the UFC. I like Justin Gaethje, but people value him more because he's in the UFC now. He's the same guy as he was in, in the World Series of Fighting, but all of a sudden he's somehow better because he's got those three letters behind his name now. So I don't respect the UFC for not paying people, but people pay to see the UFC. They, they don't pay to see certain guys. The ratings are proving this as we speak right now. I mean, you're not wrong about that, sir. You're not wrong about that. Uh, we got a couple of questions. For from tonight, I think this is going to be a pretty easy one. NBA strike. Will we ever see something like that going on in, NBA, in mixed martial arts? 
The answer oh, is absolutely yeah. not. And I'm going to answer you, and I'm going to show you this in just one simple way. Today, we have uh, the NBA players striking. The Clippers and the Lakers actually voted to cancel the whole season. Did you see this? Yes, I just saw it. And the other players voted to keep playing. So they were, they were willing to, to say, fuck it, we're not playing anymore at all, period. And somebody needs to apologize to Kyrie Irving, but that's another podcast on another day. While we have that going on, you have WNBA, they canceled the rest of their season. Or no, they postponed, they postponed the rest of their games, excuse me. I think three or four Major League Baseball games got um, postponed as well. Of course, you have NHL. They decided to play today, of course. Like, no shit. In MMA, though, MMA, you have fighters sharing and promoting a GoFundMe for the murderer who shot two, three protesters, killing two of them. So think about that dichotomy. On one side, you have people using their position to protest and to strike and to push back against the, uh, the civil injustices that are going on throughout the country. And on the other side, you have MMA athletes promoting a GoFundMe for a 17-year-old person, 17-year-old white male. So A, it's illegal for him to have firearms to begin with, who drove across state lines and shot three people. That is the that is the level of of disgusting humans that are a part of the mixed martial arts industry in some spaces. And you think that fighters would say, you know what, we're not fighting this weekend because of the civil unrest that's going on. If they did that, not only would they be cut, but they would be replaced by the end of the day with somebody else saying, cool. yeah, I'll fight for $2,000. I'll do it. That, that's the, that's the, the gift and the curse about being the UFC or being a mixed martial arts or any fighter. You don't have to take other people into consideration because you're not part of a union, but on the downside, you don't have any protection. It's like going someplace by yourself with no backup. Nobody can incriminate you, but if shit goes wrong, nobody's there to back you up or bail you out. With the, with the NBA guys, the veteran guys should be good. Like CP3, he had like $100 million. LeBron, they've all made their money. But the thing that everybody keeps forgetting when they're, they're making this stand is that some of these guys aren't making millions, and some of these guys are making millions aren't good with their money. So making a stand like this, that's why I said on Twitter, I hope they have a plan because, or, or they've figured out that somebody's going to help me out or someone's going to hold me down. Because when it comes down to it, your baby mama, your wife, your kids, your parents whose house you're paying for, your brother whose child support you're paying, whatever you're paying for, bill, school, whatever. Whatever, that stuff's going to come due. And they're not going to care that you don't have the money because you made, you made the right stand. They're just not going to care. Nobody cares. If I quit, I've quit jobs before trying to make a stand. And I, I, I was a single father at the time. Bill collectors did not seem to care that I was doing the right thing. Daycare still wanted their money. Car insurance still wanted their money. Went to the gas tank, told them I did the right thing. They still wanted me to pay for the gas I was driving. It, it, it's just the reality of it. The only difference is the NBA guys have... They make the sport. They're individuals. They're stars. So they're, to a degree, they make the league. But even though they have money and lots of it, and they can afford to make the stand a little bit more than the rest of us, that money doesn't last forever, especially when that money isn't coming in. If they stop playing, it's not just the money from the NBA that's going to stop coming. It's endorsements. It's, there's a certain amount of shoes they won't sell anymore. There's certain businesses they have that won't be as supported by the general population. And they say, I'm happy with that. I agree they'll be happy with it. 
but your checkbook may not be happy. I'm not saying that's a reason for you to cave. I'm just talking reality. There's a stand you need to make. There's sacrifices you need to make. Just understand there's going to be sacrifices. Somebody's going to lose their job. Someone's going to lose their house. Someone's going to be in a divorce because they will not have the money to take care of the things they need to take care of if they end the season. But you got to do you got to do what you got to do, and I have to respect it. In the case of mixed martial arts fighters, they're almost like regular people. Um, like you said, they can be in place immediately. The UFC is the name. Bellator guys don't even have enough money where they can afford to be taking any sort of stand. Most of them work regular jobs anyway. So even if you think differently, you can't afford to take, they can't afford to take themselves off the table for what is a very short and underpaid career to make a stand. I mean, they could. I just don't think a large majority of them are going to. I don't think they think they'll make a difference. And on behalf of the UFC, they never, they never, never deal with stuff like this. Dana White dances around all the time. The media never presses him on it. And as, as a result, he didn't have to deal with any blowback. Anybody who does whatever, they're not in the UFC, I don't care. Somebody in the UFC does it, he said he'll talk to them, or he just dances around. Oh, they had a racist thing. That's not my thing, blah, blah, blah. We'll look into it. He gets to kind of tap dance. He doesn't have to make any grand changes or big changes. He's not forcing that because he doesn't have a union. He's in complete control. He dictates how things go. And the way he dictates them is to not discuss political issues and to not discuss issues past a certain point, except issues that everybody can agree on. Then he'll say something. But issues like race and finances and people getting killed, he won't touch that stuff. And I understand why he doesn't touch it. He, he wants to make as much money as he can and make his product as accessible to people as, as possible. It's kind of like the Michael Jordan, even Republicans buy shoes. It's kind of a, a, a spin on that. So I get why he does it. But... Any, any, any fighter who makes a stand like this, they're going to be replaced, whether the UFC supports it or not, and they're just going to be turned on by the fans. In fact, if you support the opposite side, you're more likely to get more of a fan base and to get more of a Q rating from a large majority, because that's the people who, who are mostly invested in mixed martial arts. A lot of people who do not have the well-being of people of color in, in mind, they, they just don't care. Like you said, I, I, did, I couldn't believe it when I saw that, that uh, screenshot. I was totally in shock. I could not believe it. I almost fell out of my chair when I saw that they're trying to find a GoFundMe to get this kid off when this kid is killing people. But they don't look at it as people. They look at it as animals or just criminals. And they have, have a justification for anything that happens. And unfortunately, that's, that's the large majority of who supports mixed martial arts, which is why Dana White can get away with that. Yeah, speaking of Dana White, he's speaking at the RNC this week, and it's like he claims he doesn't... Uh, Man, I'm getting a headache even talking about it. But he, it's 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 sad. It's sad. We're in we're in a very, very sad space right now. Where I can't I can't LeBron, even blame him because there's a lot of people. Sorry, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm saying where like athletes like LeBron are told to shut up and dribble, but you have a guy in Dana White who is speaking at the RNC, who's been you know very staunchly open about his his distaste for the COVID-19 measures that have been put in place. But just last week, he said eight of his staff members, six to eight of them had to go home because they tested positive for COVID-19 or they were in um, contact with somebody that tested positive. And it's like, dude, you haven't worn a mask at any point in time during the situation. What the fuck are you doing? Like, those are your employees. What, what are you doing? And you've had fighters pop up with COVID-19. Like, how do you, like, how do you not, show some bit of humanity in this situation and uh, do something about this that will benefit your employees. They, hell, they had the one woman 
who they had to set up a GoFundMe for as she was battling cancer, where it's like, dude, why isn't the organization doing anything for her? Yeah, fighters doing stuff for her, but the organization itself wasn't. And it's, this is just, it's, it's unfortunate that this is the guy who is in charge of the biggest MMA promotion in the world. I'm going to ask the same question I asked when Chris Cyborg signed there. If you know, if everybody knows he does these things and everybody disagrees what he does and doesn't like how he handles business, he puts the wrong fighters in rank. Kings, he values the wrong things. He undercuts the fighters who've earned their shots and over overcompensates for the fighters who haven't. And he's this horrible person. And we all know this. I understand it's your dream to fight. I get that. But you're basically telling me your dream to fight is more important than doing the right thing. I mean, like just like just like NBA fighters, NBA players, and NFL guys, they can't just go anywhere and make this money. From what I've talked to, for most MMA fighters they could get a regular job and actually do better than they are doing right now they actually have more money for their kids they'd have health insurance they'd be doing better if they took regular jobs and just do that but they love this and that's what they want to do i understand it's what you love but the fact of the matter is everybody keeps saying they want to change for there to be a change someone has to be willing to walk away nobody's willing to walk away which is why the uc has so much power they don't want to walk away from all these motherfuckers in a second None of these guys, no matter how many times he does them wrong, will walk away. He makes you fight a, a contender's fight, then another one, then another one, then another one, and then somebody else drops out, then he makes you fight another one, then you finally lose, and you say, hey, well, Dana, and I took this fight on short notice, I did you a favor. No, you didn't. You did your job. It's not like this is brand new behavior. This is the way it's always been. And everybody warns everybody, but they keep signing up for it. Instead of just saying, I don't want to do this, I'm going to work a regular job, making a difference, and my dignity and being respected is more important to me than fighting for a potential fighting for the UFC or fighting for a UFC championship. But the fact of the matter is, it's not more important to these people. Because at the end of the day, they'd rather make their eight thousand and eight thousand to show up and fight and follow this dream than to just go get a regular job, and be able to stand on their own and say, "I'm not, I'm not for that." It's easy to complain about him, but you still take his money. It's easy to complain about him, but you still fight for his organization. And everybody keeps saying how crappy they get paid. So if you're getting paid so crappy, what, what's the allure? What is it do? doing for you. If you need to go fund me to pay for your kid to go to school or have a surgery, obviously your job isn't good enough. So what is it keeping you in there? I understand why the NBA guys might shut up. I understand why NFL guys might shut up. That's life-altering, generational-altering money. 30 and 30 ain't life-altering money. 16 and 16 ain't life-altering money. That's not just what I'm thinking. That's what they've told me. So what is your rationale for continuing to follow this dream and continue to be in this situation when it's clear that it's not a good one? And, and they're supporting, if not directly, indirectly, people who aren't moral or thoughtful towards people of color, who a lot of people in the UFC are. So it's, there's so much to unpack there. Well, what if somebody so speaks much- out? Do you think they'll kick him out? Like, what if somebody spoke out? Do you think they would suspend him? Oh, like, in the case, let's say Aljamain, let's say Aljo oh. wins the title, and he goes, and he says something. Ooh, what what would they do? Um, Let's say Aljamain Sterling chokes out Yon, Peter Yon. He he chokes out Peter Yon, and he says Donald Trump's a piece of bleep, and all these people on the right are bleeps, and I don't support any of this. F all y'all. What happens to him? Oh, man, that's a good question. Does he have his title? Does he have his job? That's a good question. I would not... Ooh. That is a good question. I do not know. He, it would not go unnoticed, and it wouldn't go unpunished in some form or fashion. Maybe they keep him out of fighting for an extended period of time. 
maybe something like that. Maybe they don't try to renegotiate him next time when contract comes up. But he, you, you get punished for that one way or another. So I'm saying, I mean, it, it's, you know, I mean, they don't even have the right to speak out about it. I mean, how come nobody's asking any fighters? All these fighters have so much to say about everything. Why didn't nobody ask these fighters how they feel about this? I mean, they all say they want media coverage, right? Now's the time. You get lots of media coverage. You have the whole world hanging on everything you say if you say something right now. Why aren't any of the fighters saying, and I'm just talking about the white fighters or the fighters who agree with Trump. What about the fighters who don't? Why aren't they? They want coverage. They want ESPN. They want the interviews. They want the fame. Why aren't they saying something? They keep saying how the NBA has it easy. All these other sports have it easy because we do the real work. We're, we don't have an offseason. We're the Warriors. Okay, cool. You want that fame. You want to see what that fame and the consequences is like? Now's the time to say something. But nobody's saying anything for a reason. There's a reason why the toughest men in the world won't say nothing. Why? The baddest man on the planet won't say nothing. Why? Why won't he say something? Has, has Stipe spoke out? Has Daniel spoke out? Has Aljo spoke out? Who, who do you see spoke Aljo out? Has. Okay. I think Aljo has on social media. Um, outside of that, I, I mean, if they, if, they, if they demanded an interview, Daniel Cormier, Stipe, and I'm not saying they have to, I'm not saying it's their responsibility. But if they demanded an interview with ESPN right now or some sports meet, some media right now and said they want to speak out on this right now and make a stand, who would tell them no? Who would tell the UFC champion no? Who would tell one of the former double champ, former Olympian, we don't want to talk about race with you right now? But it hasn't happened. And everybody says they're looking for a chance to stand out and make an impression and blah, blah, blah. Okay, well, you can and call see, anybody this is right interesting. now. This is interesting that you brought that up. Because I haven't seen a lot of people speak out against it, but you got Kobe Covington out here tweeting against the NBA players. And that is, you know, that's not going to go punished in any way, shape, or form. No. But if it was Aljermaine Sterling speaking out for the other side, they would find a way to punish him. Yeah. They, they would. They would find a way. Uh, all I'm saying, and I, I respect. I'm not one of those people who hates people who speak up or don't say anything. I don't have any hate towards you because I also am aware that we live in a real world and there's real consequences. You have a wife, you have kids, you have other stuff, you have parents. There, there, there's consequences to everything you say and do. And while everybody can say, make these sacrifices, the same people who say, make these sacrifices, don't want to pay your bills, don't want to help your kids out. You get shot in the street, they'll protest, but who, who's taking care of my family? I don't need you to protest. I need someone to help my family. So I understand when people don't speak out, but everybody in the UFC, what's the thing to say? I don't get the attention. I have things to say. I'm a regular person who's affected by regular things. I want a platform to stand on. This is a position right now where anybody who, who feels a certain kind of way about the platform can speak up and speak very loudly. But still, nobody's saying very much about it. So they say the NBA guys have it so easy. Well, LeBron's out there putting his career on the line. There's guys, yeah, they might make millions, but this could have far-reaching effects for them. That they can find, they can't find another job and paying them a hundred thousand dollars a year, two hundred thousand, with their with their academics and their skill set. I can almost guarantee you, most UFC fighters, a lot of them are college graduates. They can find another job paying them if they say they only make two thousand a fight, three thousand after they pay everybody off. You fight three times a year, that's nine thousand dollars. So you tell me you can't find another job that pays you nine thousand. You can't find another job that pays you eighteen thousand. You can't find another job that pays you fifty thousand. I don't believe you. You can't find another job. You don't want to. And they all say, I don't want to work a regular job. I'd rather get punched in the face and work a nine to five. And some people would rather get punched in the face than take a stand and have to work a nine to five. Let's just call it the way it is. Let's just call it straight. 
yeah, they don't make millions of dollars, but you can, you can replace your money because you work for the UFC and you still have to have a GoFundMe to pay for your rent. So that means you could work a regular job and actually pay for your rent and be good and make a stand. But you don't, you don't want to risk it because it's your dream is what you want to do, and that's fine. But let's, let's get to the heart of what the subject is. You're not being forced to do anything. Dana White's not forcing you. He's giving you a choice. You're, to, you're choosing to stick around and let him say and do what he wants to do and be okay with whatever nonsense he endorses. That's your choice. I'm not blaming you for it, but it's still a choice. And there's no gun to your head. They're not going to kill your family. You'll just lose your career. But that's, that's a choice you have to make when you're a superstar athlete and when you want to be a difference maker and you want to be a leader. Those are things you have to risk. Sorry, it's kind of how it works. I mean, you're not wrong there, sir. You're not wrong, Schwan. Um, let's close the show out here and let everybody know what you're working on. Um, just more character pieces. Uh, it's really weird. I mean, it's kind of surreal. Knowing the NBA has been like boycotted or, or temp- the playoffs is suspended. It's very weird seeing this happen. So it's kind of throwing me off a little bit, but just working on some more character pieces kind of, like I said, these people take this. You saw the, you saw the tweets for the, the Melinda May article. These people will take these things seriously, like you're talking about a family member. So I'm just getting my pieces ready so I can have some in order for when the movies start coming back and I can start dropping them and kind of filling that need for the fan. Who are you working on next? Uh, still Black Widow. I was thinking about doing one for Wonder Woman before the Wonder Woman 1984 comes out. Uh, have something kind of breaking down with her fighting style from her movie and from Justice League. To kind of kind of whet the appetite before people see in in the second film because they'll probably ramp it up a level in the second film, but at least give people a general live action idea of her, maybe not so much her style but sort of the strategies and the approaches she takes to fighting. So I, I think I'm, I'm thinking about doing that. I'm not sure Michael's co-signed on that one. He still wants a Black Widow one, but I he hasn't co-signed on the Wonder Woman yet. I think you should do that, man. Just fuck it, just go ahead and do it. Yeah, I mean it's not like he's not. I mean. She, they they seem to be pretty popular. It's probably worth the trouble just to go ahead and do it and see what happens. Just do it. Just do it and just take the L later. Yeah. But, um, you know what? I'll, I'll, you know what? You put the battery in the back. I'm going. I'm going with it. Let's do it. Uh, as usual, Michael, he's, he's an instigator. Raphael's an instigator. Uh, yo, dude, I am <laughs> the, the biggest instigator of them all. Like, let that be known. Without, <laughs> without a shadow of a doubt. But um, I'm working on the same shit I do every week, man. Pro wrestling. MMA and more. Uh, let's same stuff another day. We gotta keep that vibe going. But with that in mind, man, we're gonna go ahead and close out. Um, thank you for everybody for taking the time to listen to the show. As always, this is MMA Ratings on MMA Ratings.net. You can catch us across various social media channels at MMA Ratings. As always, thank you for taking the time to check out our show, check out our content. We appreciate you all. Stay safe in these streets, especially with all this stuff going on. Stay safe in these streets and um, Black Lives Matter and wear your damn mask. Have a good weekend, everybody. Take care, everybody.